Good Monday, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I'm your show host, Kyle Lamb. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to call it like I see it today in a number of fronts. Chase Young, you know the drama. I'm going to tell you about his situation. Do I think he'll be back for Rutgers? I got a few opinions on that, and I'll explain what the process is from here, when you should expect him back. Also, the greatness of Ohio State explained. I have a shocking number to tell you. More historical context about how good this Ohio State team is. Coming up in the second segment, Ohio State basketball, another win, their second of the season against UMass Lowell on Sunday. I'll tell you what Ohio State needs to work on to get better very quickly, especially with Villanova coming up on Wednesday. And then the final segment is Chug ready to go in meaningful snaps. I'll talk about his performance and a bold prediction for the college football playoff. I'll explain that all in the third segment. The Locked On Buckeyes podcast is on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Check us out on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or by saying play the Locked On Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM. Follow the show at Locked On Buckeyes Singular. We are sponsored by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at JFQ Lending. We are also supported by GoBus. Ride to over 40 stops across Ohio, connecting rural communities to Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati's. Get to Ohio State games with GoBus and bring comfort back to traveling. Visit them at RideGoBus.com. It really was quite the whirlwind over the weekend for Buckeye Nation. You probably went to bed thinking all was well Thursday night, and then you wake up Friday morning, and all hell had broken loose. I know some of you were thinking with the initial reports, it's like, how could this have happened a second season in a row where Ohio State loses the number one defensive player taken in the NFL draft early before the season has ended? And of course, if if Chase Young goes away from this team. I don't want to say that a national championship is impossible, but it goes from a overwhelming favorite as Ohio state being the national championship leader to being improbable or maybe unlikely, or at least a more difficult road. Now, as we saw against Maryland, Ohio state's defense is good with or without chase, but having chase, out there definitely changes the complexion of the defense. So you either went to bed late Thursday night and saw it. I know on BuckeyeGrove.com, the Horseshoe Lounge, if you're a member there, then you probably got a hint this was coming. There were rumors throughout the day, of course, but if you didn't catch it before going to bed, you woke up to the uh, <laughs> to the to all the chaos that was out on social media and the Ohio State message boards. Now, listen, here's the deal with Chase. We'll talk about this because Ohio State has records coming up. It's not going to matter whether Chase is playing this week or not. Ohio State opened as a 50-and-a-half-point favorite this Saturday. That's That point spread has already jumped up to 54, back down to 53. It's probably going to fluctuate a little bit the rest of the week, but it could potentially get up as high as 55 or 56. We're talking just an incredible number. And I would never, ever encourage anyone to 
take a 50-plus point spread and go bet on it. I'm not even the type to encourage you to use your hard-earned money on gambling in the first place. But I will say this. If, if you are the type of a person that is inclined to make a sports wager, if there's ever a time to jump on a 50, 52, 53-point line for the favorite, this might be one of them because Rutgers is historically bad. And Ohio State right now is in a situation where Vegas doesn't even know how to properly bet these guys. They don't know how to handicap them. Ohio State right now, not only are they having a historically dominant season, they've outscored their opponents 383 points, which is second all time through nine games in the college football scholarship era. If you go back to 1975, when the NCAA implemented the first scholarship limits, back then it was 105, later reduced to 95, and then in the early 90s, we got to the 85 that we're at now. But from 1975 on, only one team in college football, we're talking 45 years almost, only one team in college football has had a more dominant start in the first nine games. That's Kansas State in 1998. This is a long way to, t- to get around to Chase, but we'll get there, I promise. I-, I-, I know where I'm going with this, but I'm trying to give you the context of just how unbelievable this Ohio State team is. And we keep talking about it every week because it really is truly historic. But Kansas State 1998 is the only team that has had a better start through nine games than Ohio State has. Ohio State, 383-plus in the scoring margin compared to their opponents. Kansas State was 403 in the first nine games of 1998. It should be noted in that situation, Kansas State, you may remember that Bill Snyder team, Michael Bishop at quarterback, really fun team to watch. They were a good team, but... They also had the benefit of playing a really dismal schedule. For all the people talking now about who has Ohio State played, Ohio State actually has played a lot of good teams. Indiana is finally ranked in the AP poll. First time since 1994 the Hoosiers have gotten in in the AP poll. Cincinnati still has lost one single game to date. That's to Ohio State. Of course, Wisconsin, big win against Iowa in Madison this weekend. Close win, but an important win for the for the Badgers. Ohio State has actually beat some teams. The worst team on their schedule is probably either Northwestern or Miami. Miami, by the way, has a chance to win their division in the MAC. They're not a bad team. I mean they're not a great team. I'm not gonna I'm not suggesting Ohio State fans should go pound their chest because Ohio State beat the Red Hawks. But Miami isn't that bad. Northwestern Really terrible offense, but they actually have a decent defense. Northwestern, by the way, 40-plus point favorites this weekend against UMass. That's how bad UMass is. Another story for another day on that. But Ohio State's schedule for the most part. FAU is the best team in their conference right now. Michigan State's having a down year, but they've still got a decent defense. Nebraska, not real good. Not going to sugarcoat that one. But for the most part, Ohio State's schedule is pretty tough. It's, it's a top 30 schedule nationally. 
by most of the computer rating rankings or ratings. But Kansas State, that team, that year in '98, they played. They played an FCS team. They played two two loss or two two win teams, a pair of two win teams that year. They played a three win team, a four win team, and a pair of five win teams. So Kansas State really, really was beaten up on some bad competition. But other than that Kansas State team, this Ohio State team has the best nine-game slate we have ever seen since 1975 in the era of scholarships. By the way, the next week, the 10th week, that Kansas State team beat Nebraska by 10. So 4-13 is the high-water mark through 10 games of a college football season since 1975. Ohio State has 383 through 9. So if they beat Rutgers this week by 30 or more, they would be the high water mark through 10 weeks of a season. But here's what's most impressive. Ohio State, besides the margin of victory being 383 points through 9 games, this is something that boggles my mind. And and I'm relating this in the context of Ohio State being 50-plus point favorites this week. Ohio State... Against the spread, has outscored their opponents by 163 points through nine games. They are beating the spread by 18 points a game. 18 points a game, they're beating the spread. Vegas is really good at this. Vegas, I'm not going to say they have it down to a science, but, but they're right a lot more than they're wrong. And yet Ohio State is still routinely beating the spread. Eight games in a row, they beat the spread. And they've covered by an average of 18 points. To give you context of how how unbelievable that is, only 11 teams out of 129 in FBS has a higher scoring margin than Ohio State has covered the spread by. Ohio State has covered the spread by more than 118 teams have outscored their opponents. Truly dominant. So, to get back to this, if I were you, if you were ever going to make a sports wager, that 50 to 53 point line looks awfully tempting, awfully inviting for an Ohio State fan right now. For anybody, not just not just an Ohio State fan, for any college football fan. Because Vegas has not caught up with this team. The thing about Vegas is they don't just look at what you've done in recent games. They don't look at your they don't just look at your entire season. They regress based on coach coaches' career norms. They regress based on the previous season. There's a lot of data and homework that goes into making these lines. So Ohio State is fooling Vegas because, let's be honest, last year it was not a very good team. And so Vegas is trying to figure out how to treat this defense especially because it's it's defying expectations, it's defying logic. It's really, really good. And Chase Young is a big part of that, but it's not the only part. Now, as far as this week is concerned, they don't need Chase Young back. But he is a big 
cog in the machine. He's going to be a big factor if they're going to get by Penn State and Michigan. Minnesota, which is suddenly looking a lot better. I'll talk about them in the final segment when we talk about some playoff scenarios. But they need Chase Young back for, for the playoff run if, if they get that far. So here's the deal. Chase Young, as you know, by now, is in trouble with the NCAA for accepting a loan that Ohio State and Chase are calling from, quote, a family friend. This loan was said to be in the four figures, which is above and beyond the previous minor threshold that the NCAA deems under $800 for extra benefits. I know there are some numbers flying around. You've heard 700, you've heard 800, I said 1,000. There are different tiers based on what type of benefit it is. But the bottom line is either way, it's over 700, it's over 800, it's over 1,000. It's in the four-figure range. He did accept a loan. They're calling it from a family friend. It was paid back. Apparently, they do have a paper trail. They have evidence that it was paid back. And that is satisfactory for the NCAA because as long as it was, they can establish it was some sort of family friend. It'll be a mitigating circumstance. It should be pointed out, as far as the NCAA is concerned, the family friend does not fit this definition. To be an actual family friend, as the NCAA looks at it, you have to have established a friendship with the athlete before they were a recruitable athlete. Because Ohio State started recruiting Chase Young as a sophomore, he had not yet met this person until before the summer of his freshman year. So as far as the NCAA concerned, the family friend label does not actually fit their definition, but it is a mitigating circumstance that can lessen the violation. The guideline, as I pointed out on my Unscripted Ohio podcast on Friday, calls for a four-game suspension, but that is not that is not a definitive guideline. It doesn't mean that they have to stick to it. The NCAA and Ohio State have been working together as, they, as schools customarily do in player reinstatement cases. Once the school finds a possible violation, they withhold the athlete from competition, they report it, and then the two entities work together, giving each other details, keeping each other up to date of what they find, and then once restitution is paid, or in this case it's a loan, or if you can prove repayment of a loan, then once the suspension is fulfilled satisfactorily as far as the institution feels is enough. So in this case, Ohio State has already withheld Chase Young from competition against Maryland. So Ohio State, in their minds, thinks this is enough. This is one game, so they are going to press forward with the application for reinstatement this week. The NCAA will either approve the application, which means Chase Young will be immediately reinstated and he can play against Rutgers, or they will reject the application and either say, come back with more information, or come back again, we need to see more of a punishment. Ohio State believes that one game will suffice if not one game, then maybe one additional game. Ohio State believes that he will either be reinstated this week after their application is submitted or that the NCAA will recommend one more game. 
it's always possible with the NCAA, you don't know what you're getting. But they typically, in these reinstatement cases, do work with the school. So if Ohio State is optimistic that Chase Young will be reinstated either this week or next, they probably have a good reason to believe so. So to bottom line this, the RDV, the Reader's Digest version, Ohio State thinks Chase Young will be reinstated either this week or next. My gut instinct is that he'll probably be out there this week. And the reason I say that, if Ohio State is in fact requesting reinstatement already, given that they've been working with the NCAA, I think that they have a good reason to be optimistic and that they're going forward with this reinstatement now. I think Chase Young will be out there in Piscataway this upcoming weekend against Rutgers, which, by the way, 3.30 kickoff on BTN. Not a noon game. You're happy about that. So I think Chase Young will be out there. But bottom line, Ohio State will be attempting to get him reinstated. It is believed by folks over there at the athletic department at Ohio State that he will sit no more than one more additional game. Should be ready to go for Penn State and Michigan. Coming up in the next segment, talk some Ohio State basketball. As the Buckeyes are 20-point victors over UMass Lowell. We'll talk about that and getting ready for the big Villanova showdown at the shot Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. That's on FS1. More basketball talk coming up here on Locked on Buckeyes. Coming up in segment number three, we'll jump back into some football talk. We'll talk college football playoff scenarios, what happens with Bama with that loss to LSU, how much wiggle room does Ohio State have? Minnesota's win over Penn State. I'll talk about all that. Also, Chug, by the way, I want to get into him. Very impressed with how he played uh, this past weekend against Maryland. So we'll talk some college football in segment number three. But the Buckeye basketball team was back in action on Sunday afternoon at the shot, beating UMass Lowell, the River Hawks, by 20 points. It was overall another decent performance for Ohio State, but like the Cincinnati game, it was kind of a sluggish start. Really, the first five, six, seven minutes, they didn't look too sharp. Really had a tough time scoring. Now, that's a little bit of a concern that they're getting off to a slow start, but it is only the second game. They're searching for an identity, trying to get into rhythm, feel each other out. I have some concerns about this team, but I also believe that most of them will be alleviated with time. The concerns I have, first and foremost, let's start at the top. The number one concern, and I've, I've mentioned this on several occasions, I'm still a little concerned about the shooting. Not so much the ability to shoot or the number of guys that can put the ball in the basket, but it's the consistency of it. DJ Carton, Caleb Wesson, Andre Wesson, when he gets back, remember he's got that broken eye socket, will be out a few weeks. Justin Ahrens, Dwayne Washington, Luther Muhammad. They've got a number of guys that can shoot the ball. It's going to be a question of doing it regularly and finding somebody that can step up as a consistent shooter, a go-to guy, if you will. That's number one. My number new, My number two concern is this team has got a long way to go with entry passes. Against UMass Lowell, they made so many mistakes, so many turnovers, 
trying to get the ball inside to Caleb Wesson. Don't get me wrong. It's a good problem to have when you have guys turning it over because they're trying to make an entry pass. But that doesn't excuse the inability to do so. You've got to be able, at this level, to make a good entry pass. Sometimes it's decision-making. Sometimes it's angles where they don't have an angle and they're trying to get it in where they just it's just not there, and that's part of the decision-making process. And then other times it's just poor passes. So there's, there's kind of a combination of things going on. There's, you know, it's, it's having the awareness of when to do it and then the execution of doing it right. So that's an issue that I see right now. The third concern, free throws, 60% through two games. Now, I'm not as concerned about free throws because small sample size, and if I'm being honest, these are guys that should be able to shoot free throws well. Carton, Wesson, Muhammad, Washington. Most of these guys are guys that should be shooting it in the 70 to 80% range. So I don't see this as an ongoing problem or a long-term problem, but it is something through two games that, it, that needs continually addressed. And the fourth problem is I'm, I'm maybe nitpicking just a little bit, but for all the attention that Caleb Wesson has received for his weight loss and the fact he's become a really, really good shooter, he could shoot it last year pretty well. But this year, he's not just a stationary shooter. He's got really nice form, really good release. He steps into a shot. And because of his added agility and footwork, he's kind of able, he really is, I mentioned, stepping into the shot a little more. It's not just a standstill guy. He can kind of create his own shot with one or two dribbles now. That's something he couldn't do last year. But for all of the valuable assets or the, the intangibles provided by his weight loss, and that means better agility, better conditioning, uh, more versatility on the court, better defense, for all the things that come with that, I'm a little concerned by the amount of time he's spending on the perimeter wanting to shoot. I think at the end of the day, Ohio State was best last year and will be best this year when the offense can flow through him in the post. It's always great to have a big man that can shoot it. I'm not saying he should not shoot. The offense is better by having that added dimension but they really need him to be more consistent in the post and to be able to bang around and, and create fouls on opposing defensive players. There's so much value in, in doing those little things. You can foul guys out by being in the post and just simply posting up. And I, I feel like he's a little too motivated to try to get his shot because he can when in reality, I think they need him to spend a little more time. Now, it, it is just two games. It's a small sample, and this could turn out to be nothing. But it's just something I'm concerned about as a trend in the first two games. I feel like he's spending too much time on the perimeter looking to shoot. It'll be interesting to see how Chris Holtman balances the two. Because you, if you've got a big man, it really does help your team for him to be able to step out on the perimeter and pop a shot when it's there. 
you just got to make sure that he's not always trying to come out. So I, I got to find a better balance for that. But those are the four things that I'm concerned about with this team. I think on the positive side, you've got a lot of athletes. You've got depth. You've got good ball handling this year for the most part. They've been a little sloppy in two games, but they've got guys who can handle it. DJ Carton is a really, really good basketball player. If you have not yet watched this team play, watch him against Villanova Wednesday. You're going to be really impressed. And the other guy at point guard who's actually starting, C.J. Walker, is another guy that you're going to really like by the end of the year. Very consistent, very smart, good ball handler, shooter, defender, does everything well. Ohio State's in great hands. They've got a lot of guys who can put the ball in the basket. They've got the ball handlers, the defenders. They've got blue-collar hard workers, rebounders. They're really a good basketball team. They just have a few things that I think need short up just a little bit. I'm pretty sure this is a top 20 team, but they just need to work on those dimensions. Those things that I mentioned, those are the things standing between being a top 20 team and potentially winning a big 10 title and getting a protected seat in the NCAA tournament. So Ohio State basketball back in action Wednesday night. Villanova at the shot. That is a 7 p.m. tip. If you're not able to attend, it is a it is a televised game on FS1. So we'll talk more Ohio State basketball here coming up. We'll preview that game the next two days. Coming up here in segment three, we're jumping back into college football. How much wiggle room does Ohio State have in the playoff? Where does Bama fall after their loss? And what to make of Minnesota now in the playoffs? All coming up in the last segment of Locked on Buckeyes. You can catch Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, many other third-party platforms. You can also hear us by saying, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Catch the show on Twitter at Locked on Buckeye. That's singular. And, of course, you can hear my other work and all the other great shows that we have on the Unscripted Ohio Podcast Network as well. Hope you'll follow both. The more, the merrier. Please tell your friends, your family, your family's friends, your friend's family, or whomever else you may want to share the Buckeye goodness with in your life. Anyhow, let's talk some college football playoff scenarios. But but before I go down that road, I, I really would like to point out how impressed I was by the performance of Ohio State backup quarterback Chris Chuganov on Saturday. Let's let's be perfectly honest. Everybody listening, myself included, to this point through the first eight games thought, if Justin Fields gets hurt, Ohio State's season is essentially over with. All the big goals. They can beat a Maryland with Chris Chuganov. We we already knew that. We 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 know that they could beat him with probably Rutgers. We could beat Rutgers with him. It's not that they can't win a lot of games with him with all that talent. But for the really big goals, the really big games, the Michigans, the Penn States, college football playoff. If Justin Fields goes down, Ohio State's done. Ohio State goes as Justin Fields goes. 
that had been the prevailing thought through the first eight games. And that was completely fair, rational, and probably accurate. But I, I will say this. I'm going to hedge just a little bit after watching Chuganov on Saturday. Now, I am not suggesting that Ohio State can win a national championship with Chug at quarterback if they had to run the gauntlet of Penn State, Michigan, Minneapolis in the Big Ten, or Minnesota in the Big Ten championship, followed by a Clemson or Bama or LSU. Like, I'm not suggesting that they can win all those games with him at quarterback. But I have changed my opinion in that, let's say the worst case scenario happens where he has to come in in the second quarter of a game against Michigan. We've seen this movie before because JT Barrett had to leave the game twice. Remember, Cardell Jones came in one time. JT Barrett had to leave a second time. And Dwayne Haskins came in. So we've seen this movie. It's not new. So let's say Justin Fields twisted an ankle in the second quarter of a Michigan game. And Chris Chuganoff comes in to, to have to finish the game. I would have said a few weeks ago, <laughs> that's trouble scenario for Ohio State. But seeing him against Maryland, and it yes, it was Maryland. But seeing him out there against the Terrapins in the second half on Saturday, I got to tell you, he has really improved since the start of the season. I would feel a lot more comfortable if I'm Ohio State having to put him out there now than I was back at the start of September. He made some amazing throws on Saturday. That throw he, he threw to Garrett Wilson, the touchdown, when he got hit as he threw, it got ca called back, but it was still beautiful nonetheless. That was a perfect throw. He was getting after it. He was yelling at Jer uh, Jamison Williams for being in the wrong spot. He was throwing some dimes out there. It's Maryland. It was the second half. In some cases, it was against their backups. So I, I'm taking all of this with a grain of salt. All I'm saying is the national championship aspirations still depend on Justin Fields being the quarterback. But if he had to pinch hit in an emergency situation, in, in a single game scenario, suddenly I feel like you don't, lose your breath. You, you you know, you don't pass out in paranoia. I think he could get it done, at least based on the way he played on Saturday. It's just limited sample, but he's definitely improved. I'll, I will say that. So Ohio State needs Justin Fields out there for the playoffs. Can they get there if they lose? That's going to be interesting. I would say now they have to beat Penn State. Before, I think you could have potentially drawn up a scenario where they lose to Penn State and still get to the playoff without winning a Big Ten title. Now I'm not so sure. With Penn State losing to Minnesota, I think Ohio State has to at least be beat Penn State. They'd clinch the Big Ten East. They could afford a loss to Michigan because they'd still be going to Indianapolis where they have a chance to beat Minnesota. I think in any other scenario then with one loss, especially if, Big Ten, if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, they're going to, to the playoff. Minnesota, 
obviously, if they win out, is going to the playoff because they have beaten Wisconsin and Ohio State. LSU, if they win out, they're in. Georgia, if they win out, even with one loss to South Carolina, they're in. I think LSU could lose to Georgia and still get in. I think the winner of Oregon, Utah, if they're one-loss teams, are in. Unless all those other scenarios happen, and then somebody's going to be left out. Clemson is obviously in if they win out as well. So here's the deal. Now, with all that being said, come Tuesday, I think Alabama is going to be number four. That's going to upset some people. Oh boy, here we go again. The committee doing Alabama favors, putting them at number four. They're getting in, in the playoff, even with that loss. No. Wrong. Wrong answer. I think Alabama will be number four because right now there's no reason to put Georgia or Oregon or anybody else ahead of them. But that's not to say that they're going to stay number four. Think about this logically. If Georgia wins out, they will have beaten Notre Dame, Auburn, and LSU. Now, Alabama will also have beaten Auburn in this scenario. So those two cancel each other out. But Georgia will have beaten Notre Dame in the non-conference, and they would have knocked off LSU on a neutral field. Alabama would have lost to LSU at home. Georgia would have the SEC championship on their side and a better strength of schedule. There's no way Alabama is beating out a one-loss SEC champ Georgia. That's just not happening. Everybody would lose their minds over that. That is not a realistic scenario. It is also my opinion that Oregon and Utah, the winner of that game, if, if both have one loss, would pass Alabama. You could make a little bit more of an argument against that, but I don't see Alabama staying ahead of a one-loss Pac-12 champ. I just don't. Past Alabama teams did make it, but past Alabama teams had better strengths of schedule. Better strength of schedule. They had better wins. Alabama has no signature wins. They have a terrible strength of schedule. And they don't even have a Alabama traditional defense. The defense that makes you go, wow, they're really impressive. They don't have that this year. They don't pass the eye test as much as they used to. Their offense does, but their defense does not. And they don't have the strength of schedule or the merit. They are 2015 Ohio State. Even if you think that they are a top four team, which is fair, you could. some of you think so, some of you don't. But the 2015 Ohio State Buckeyes were a top four team, but didn't get in because they lost the only game that mattered. That's Alabama this year. Alabama can still get in, but it's going to take a lot of chaos. So I do not believe, although I do think that they will be number four on Tuesday, I do not believe they are going to stay number four if those other scenarios play out. If Minnesota wins out, they're in, and I think Ohio State is in if their only loss is to Minnesota. Bama's not going to be ahead of any of those two. Now, the interesting scenario, what if Minnesota loses to Wisconsin but still goes to the Big Ten Championship and beats Ohio State? Does Minnesota get in with one loss as a Big Ten champ over Alabama? That's where things get interesting, in my opinion. As far as Tuesday is concerned, will it be Ohio State number one or LSU number one? 
in my opinion, my estimation, and I was dead on the money about this last week. You guys got to give me credit for this because I said I think Ohio State might be number one, LSU will be number two, and I said Bama, Penn State, Clemson. I called that five. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my mark now. I'm going to call my shot again. I actually tend to think Ohio State stays number one over LSU this week. And here's why I think that. The college football playoff selection process says they are picking the four best teams, not the four most deserving teams. I see a lot of people saying, well, I'm okay with LSU. They probably should be number one because they're more deserving. Deserving ain't got nothing to do with it. It's supposed to be the four best teams. I do think there is a place, as I've said this before, I think there's a place for merit when it comes to picking the four best teams just because there's so much subjectivity to the eye test and so much subjectivity to determining who the four best teams are. So there, there has to be a room for what have you done to prove you're one of the four best. But at this point, if we're talking about seeding, what did Ohio State do if you thought that Ohio State was clearly the best team in the country coming into the week, and the committee did, all Ohio State did was run up 73-14 to 14 score on a Big Ten team, first time since 1950 anybody has scored 70 points in the Big Ten, against another Big Ten team, that is. All Ohio State did was truck Minnesota, 705 yards, 73-14. So if you thought Ohio State was number one last week, and LSU ranked number two by the committee, by the way. They beat number three. The number two team by the committee beat the number three team. That means the committee thought LSU was already better than Alabama. So why should LSU be moved ahead of Ohio State? If you thought Ohio State was the best team in the country, did LSU really do anything to change your mind? The answer should be no. And that's why I don't think that the committee is going to move LSU ahead because if you get into the situation where you're just moving teams up and down because of who you beat that particular week, it really defeats the purpose of the four best team argument. So you thought Ohio State was number one last week. They did nothing to change your mind, but just because LSU happened to have the fortune of a schedule that had the better team being played that particular week, you change, you flip-flop them? To me, that doesn't make sense. And I don't think the committee wants to go down that road because they just got done telling us Ohio State is the best team in the country. They said that pretty much. Rob Mullins did. So I think they're going to keep Ohio State number one. They could move LSU to number one. I'm not saying it's impossible. Lord knows I've been wrong trying to predict what they've done in the past, so I can't go too far out on this limb. But I think they'll keep Ohio State number one if they do flip-flop them. Who's to say Ohio State couldn't pass them by beating Penn State and Michigan? If LSU is going to get the benefit of flopping them, passing them just because they played a better team that week, then Ohio State should get the same benefit two and three weeks from now. But I don't think they're going down that road. I think they said Ohio State is number one. We are not going to go the route of the AP and coaches' polls. We're not doing this based solely on merit. 
we think Ohio State is the best team, and until proven otherwise, we're going to keep them number one. So I'm going out on this limb. I'm predicting come Tuesday, Ohio State and not LSU will be the number one team in the college football playoff committee rankings. And you know what? If that happens, everybody will lose their minds. But just remember, it's for best. It's not for most deserving. Just because LSU took care of business and beat the team ranked lower than them doesn't mean they are a better team than Ohio State. And I'm giving the committee credit because I think they recognize that. I think the committee is not like the AP poll and that they understand it's not just about merit. It's not just about timing of who you play in a given week. If you thought Ohio State was number one, just because LSU happened to have the good fortune of playing a better team than Ohio State did that particular week, it doesn't mean you change them. Deserving ain't got nothing to do with it. You got to protect the integrity of the seeds. Your goal should be to create the best matchups possible. If you're a number one seed, you should be playing the true number four seed and the two and three should be playing each other. You have to protect that integrity of the matchups. So my prediction, Ohio State stays number one and everybody is going to flip out about it. But I think that's going to be the case. I think the committee says Ohio State was our number one team last week. They railroaded Maryland. There's no reason to change. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. It's going to wrap it up for Locked on Buckeyes. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. It's going to do it for today. I will be back Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Locked on Buckeyes.